One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how, he, um, how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah said to Samson, Until now, you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. There we go. Then she said to him, how can you say, I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since my birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, 
they set him grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. Then they stood him among the pillars. Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Well, good morning. Uh, there's an outline of the talk in, uh, in your booklet. Great to have the book of Judges open. How about we pray that God will help us to understand his word. Lord God, we ask now that you might uh, open our hearts and minds to understand your word. We ask, please, that those of us who are tired to be able to be uh, alert and awake. Pray, please, that I may be able to speak clearly and truthfully. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in about 11 days, I'm due to become a granddad, or uh, as I'm going to be called, a gungung, God willing. Uh, Chinese thing, you'll get it. and I remember, I've been thinking about my own granddad a little bit lately, and he was, I mean, my own granddad was always old, and he was an old man and from my earliest memories, and I just remember him with a giant King James Bible that was kind of so uh, well-worn that it was about three times as thick as it should have been. And as a little boy, I didn't become a believer until I was 20, but uh, as a little boy, I remember mum trying to teach me Bible stories, and my two favourite stories were uh, Samson uh, and David and Goliath blood and guts and all sorts of things that little boys are. And I remember one day they asked my grandfather, I must have been, I don't know, five or six, I asked my grandfather, Granddad, who would have been the, the strongest and the toughest, Samson or Goliath? Now there's a grandfather question, isn't it? Well, are you okay? What would you say? And I'm, I think back, who would have been the toughest, Samson or Goliath? And I remember the old bloke pausing and he looked at me, he took, took the, ser- the question dead serious and he said, well, Goliath got killed by a little stone that hit him in the head. But Samson had to have a great big temple fall on him 
would make him tougher, wouldn't it? I said, yeah, that's a good story. Said, yeah, that's right. Now, that's probably 45 years ago that he told me. I, re I remember that. Now, Samson just works for little boys, and, and maybe little girls, but works for little boys. But how do you make sense of Samson as an adult? Think about Samson, oh, well, I mean, you know, Samson, okay, well, he seems led around, well, he doesn't seem led around by his brains, he seems led around by his heart, okay? Um, <laughs> and yet, I'll tell you something, when you read the story of Samson sympathetically, I, I mean carefully, empathetically, and think yourself into it, he's not stupid. And Samson has massive strength, and yet he has struggles like so many of us will. So what I'd like to do with you this morning is read the story with you. In some ways, just read the story and get out of the way and let you see him and almost feel with him what it was like to carry the load that he carries. And as always, it shows us things about how God saves people. And now, I won't give you the background of the book of Judges again. We've done that over the last uh, two studies. But just one thing to show what... What Judges shows us is the degeneration of the people of Israel after Joshua dies and how things just fall into a heap in the book of Judges. You see it really quickly. If you, um, chap I'll read you chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then chapter 20 shows us how kind of almost structurally the, the mess that happens. So chapter 1, verse 1, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I've given the land into their hands. So Judah goes up and fights against the Canaanites at the beginning. But by the time we get to chapter 20, the Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. They said, who shall go up uh, and fight against the Benjaminites? And the Lord, answered, uh, the Lord replied, Judah shall go first. And so they start off fighting the Canaanites exactly as they should. By, by chapter 20, they're fighting each other in this terrible, messy civil war. And it's as a result of the concubine that's been raped and left for dead and then cut up and it, it just everything's just a total mess uh, the structure of the books you also see in the way that the stories of the judges are written so the early judges um, Ehud and Othniel and um, uh, Shamgar and, and Deborah and Barak and so on they're relatively brief and each of those finish well but by the time you get to the later judges the ones um, uh, Gideon and Jephthah and Samson Everything ends badly. No, it's not a happy ending for any of those judges. Okay, let's have a look at the story of Samson. And, and you notice Samson is the last judge before the epilogue of the book where everything is just completely a mess. It's kind of things winding down. Uh, the story of Samson, if you want to understand it, is the story of three women uh, in his life. Three scenes, you'll see there. Uh, the first scene... Yep. The first scene, the woman in his life is his mother as so often is the case when life begins. Um, uh, scene two, his Philistine bride, and scene three, his Delilah. So let's have a look. Um, the first scene about his mum. Gen uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 1. You might like to follow with me. I'll read fairly quickly. It's not complicated, but I want you to get the feel of the flow of the story. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, the Philistines were the long-term enemy of Israel. They were technologically more advanced. They lived in five city-states on the western side of Israel, closer to the coast. Uh, the the uh, city-state that you hear most about in this story is Gaza, and you still hear about Gaza in the news. It's still a place of conflict and difficulty and so on. 
Uh, and the Philistines continue as, as Israel's long-term enemy until King David gets on the throne and David sorts it all out. All right? They're not a problem after that. Verse 2. A certain man of Zoah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. We don't even know his mum's name, uh, but we know that she wasn't able to have children and we know what a, you know, what a heartache that is when that's the case uh, and it really is heartbreaking. If, if it's possible, it was even worse in the Old Testament times because, once again, the way that you kept your inheritance in the promised land was to have children. And so this is a heartache for this woman especially, um, and just like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah, these other women who've had trouble in, in childbirth. And then verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean uh, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So the two things that are promised, she'll, she'll have a son and he will begin to deliver Israel. Now unlike the other judges, he won't deliver Israel by gathering an army. Samson will be a one-man army. And why is that necessary? We'll see soon why he's going to do this on his own. But it will be, it will be necessary. Um, now notice, no haircuts for this boy. Um, he's going to be a Nazarite. Numbers chapter 6, you could read it later on at your leisure, uh, talks about the Nazarite idea. Numbers 6.2, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants, wants to, it's voluntary. If a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite, and then number six lists out the things. It's the way you kind of specially dedicate yourself. First one, no haircuts. The, the, it, it's, you become a Nazarite for a certain period of time, and during that time, you don't cut your hair. And then at the end, when you do cut your hair, that is the symbol that your vow of separation is over. It's not that the hair is magical in any way. It's the symbol that, it, that it's over. Okay? Um, also, the other things you weren't to do is you weren't to drink uh, wine. In fact, you weren't even to drink grape juice. No alcohol, uh, no wine, and you weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. Even relatives, if they died, you weren't to touch. No, no dead bodies, nothing that would make you ceremonially unclean. Now, Samson is a Nazarite, but different in, in two ways. One is he's a Nazarite for all of his life. All his life he's to be a Nazarite. The other is he didn't choose this. God chose it. He's not a volunteer. God chooses him to be a Nazarite all his life, all right? just like that. Okay, um, then Manoah, um, Manoah's wife, like I said, we don't know her name, tells her husband and her husband's worried about it and so on. They pray that the angel of God would come back again, which he does, and tells them all this again. And then um, the birth and the childhood are described very briefly. See verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. And he, uh, he grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manahadan between Zoah and Eshtaol. Scene one, okay, now we come to scene two, um, his Philistine bride. Now scene two is chapters 14 and 15, and it's beautifully structured. Uh, I think I've got a slide here. Chapter 14 is all about secrets. When you, when you look, I'll, I'll say, here we go. Um, yep, so we've got his Philistine bride. Okay, we keep going. Have, I, have we got the secrets one? Excellent. Uh, we didn't get the secrets? How are we going here? That's all right. Okay, excellent, thank you. 
Um, you see, you begin with the Lord's secret, and then Samson has a secret about the lion, and then about the honey, and then about the riddle, and then finally the Lord's secret again. Let me take you through it. You see how it's kind of secrets, and in the end, the Lord's secret wins. So here we go. Um, chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there anyone except, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now the literal translation is he says, get her for me. Literally, she is right in my eyes. The NIV just you know, missed it. It's very significant. Later on you'll see why. Get her for me. She is right in my eyes. And his parents say, oh, isn't there someone else? Isn't there someone else? So look around. Some of you guys who have kids and are old enough to know that anxiety. Isn't there somebody else? Basically they're saying, do you have to hook up with an unbeliever? Do you have to? And I, I feel their heartache. And you can tell from the end of verse 3 that I think Samson's parents had some discipline problems with him fairly early. All right? uh, I guess you tell why. He was uh, huge and strong and so on. Um, but his parents didn't know the full picture in that God had a bigger purpose for all of this. And I say to your parents, if you are in pain, you don't know the end of the story and what God has in mind yet either. What's the Lord's secret? Verse 4. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So you see the sovereign hand of God in this. He's able to work in the middle of mess and sinfulness and evil and so on. God brings his purpose out of it. Just mum and dad couldn't see it at the time. Uh, now here's the other thing. See, Samson doesn't dislike the Philistines. He's quite happy to have them as in-laws. It's all part of God's plan. Maybe make them in-laws might be the way to get it all. Anyway, that's all right. Um, God's even able to you know, use Samson's willfulness, willfulness and sinfulness. All right, then verse 5, we get to Samson's secret about the lion. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he'd done. So the idea of the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and when that happens in Judges, you know the victory is going to happen. Kills the lion, keeps it secret. Next secret, verse 7, the honey. Then he went down and talked with a woman and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. By the way, Nazarite, no dead bodies, shouldn't have done it. Um, ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they too ate, but he did not tell them that he'd taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Okay, keeps the honey a secret. Next secret, the riddle. Now his father went down to see the woman and Samson made a feast there as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. That's a big wedding party, isn't it? He gets 30 groomsmen. Or maybe it's 30 bridesmaids. Uh, I always wondered why weddings went on for a week then. It's because you had to do the wedding photos with 60 people. It took a week. Maybe that's why it is. Anyway. Okay. Verse 12. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. 
if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Now, that's a big bet. That, you're talking big money in those days, right, for that many sets of clothes and so on. So this is the bet with the 30 companions. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. Now, I don't get the whole riddle thing. It just doesn't quite work, and it's, like not, not, it's not like a knock-knock joke either or, or whatever, but they understand. They get it. This, this fits their culture. They know, the, they know the game and so on. And what is it? It's a combination of Samson's other two secrets. So verse 14, he replied, Out of the eater came something. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle to us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? This is from the wedding guests. But I guess you invite Philistines to your wedding. What do you expect? Um, <laughs> then Samson's wife threw herself on him sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle and you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father and mother, he replied. Why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. I bet he really enjoyed his wedding, don't you reckon? And so he says, oh. Now, here's, now it's, I think it's meant to be a little lighthearted. It's meant to be. You can hear her going, oh, you don't tell him so. And then you see the fatal weakness in him. Massively strong physically, and yet I think when the emotional tank is empty, there's weakness there. Verse 17. So on the seventh day, verse 17, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not ploughed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> I, I'm just going to let that one go through to the keeper. I think you just... That's, that's beautifully politically incorrect. Anyway... Um, now, here's where you see the Lord's secret come in and beat the other secrets. The Lord's secret actually begins to bear fruit or come to fruition. Verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and he's very cranky. Right? Uh, he went down to Ashkelon, one of the other Philistine cities, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. Now, this is the beginning of a chain of events that it's, it's on for young and old. Then you get chapter 15 and kind of the, the chain of events keeps going and, and things get, you know, the, the, the conflict escalates. 15 verse 1, later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, notice the wheat harvest, got it? Wheat that's been all cut, it's standing, it's dry and so on. Time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Young goat's like a bottle of champagne and some chocolates, okay? Um, he said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him in, uh, let him go in. And I, I could just imagine Dad standing there with like the shadow of this guy kind of falling across him, trying to explain verse 2. Um, like, kind of, no, you can't go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I um, gave her uh, uh, to your uh, friend. Uh, isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Uh, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. And then he fastened a torch, like burning stick, to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose into the standing grain of the Philistines. 
He burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. Uh, the Philistine cities are now facing starvation as they, as they lose a crop for that year. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. And here you see the degeneration in Israel. Verse 9, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. And 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cave in the rock in Etam and said to Samson, don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He, um, he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. And you see how the book of Judges has kind of degenerated? Like it begins with Judah going up to fight the Canaanites and now things are so bad that they don't even cry out to the Lord and say, please save us. They just do what my Staffordshire Terrier does when I come home. Roll over, show their belly and say, you're the boss, can I have a belly scratch? They've just given up. Right? They've given up. 3,000 of them go um, and ask Samson, please don't upset the Philistines, they're our rulers. It's kind of the natural order of things now. Verse 12, they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We won't kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. And then you get Samson's great victory. Uh, verse 14, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding the fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. There's a pun in there about, and so on that we probably miss in English. When he, uh, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath Lehi, which means jawbone hill. Because he was very thirsty, notice, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? It's the first time he's recorded as praying. Verse 19, then God opened up the hollow place um, in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor and it is still there in Lehi, which means En-Hakor means call a spring. So relationship with the Philistines gets worse and worse. And then you get a summary um, of his life in verse, or the kind of a, a positive thing about his life in verse 20. Samson led Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Okay, so he walks with God um, and wins a great victory. And then the climax of the story is chapter 16, which is actually all about um, uh, darkness and blindness, and, and, and blind, physical blindness and spiritual blindness, the ability to be in the darkness and being able to see. And so um, I think we've got the kind of the summary as you see, or I'll, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you the quick summary as we, as we read our way through. One day Samson went to Gaza, 16.1, went to Gaza, um, where he saw a prostitute and he went in to spend the night with her. And so really, Samson's treating everybody with contempt. He's treating the Philistines with contempt. He walks into one of their cities. He's treating God with contempt in the way he's behaving and so on. But you can see, you've got that much power and that much strength. It's not hard to see how you drift into being arrogant and treating th things with contempt. 
verse 2, the people of Gaza were told Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the gate posts. I mean, the cities, they're villages with a, with a wall around it. Uh, together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You can see why he was just a tad arrogant, can't you? Um, imagine the next morning, kind of, the gates and everything's just been ripped off and what, you can see the drag marks and the footprints and guys looking at each other saying, OK, who's going to follow him? Uh, I bet no one did. The next one then, Samson's living in the darkness. The next one is, love is blind. Verse 4, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. I'd grown up thinking she was a Philistine, but as you check out uh, her name and where she lived, almost certainly she was not a Philistine. Um, did he really love her? It seems so. It might have been kind of bloke love. You remember the old Doors song, Hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? But it was real for him. Blind to the danger, verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Notice they don't say kill him, they don't say blind him, they say tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's um, 13 kilos of silver each, a lot of money. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And then um, from um, verse 7 through to verse 14 is these series of tests. It's really a game, I think, he's playing with her. You know, that idea of, you know, you tie me with the fresh thongs, there's strips of leather, then I'll... Notice what he says, verse 7. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs, the strips of leather, uh, that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. I'll become as weak as any other man. And then she does it and he just breaks it and wanders off. And then, so there's the thongs and then the new ropes and then she weaves his hair into the, the loom and he just stands up and walks out with it and so on. But then you see in verse 15, that tragic weakness come back again. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Um, I wonder whether it's not just that, I wonder was he tired to death, not just, not just that uh, she nagged him, but I wonder was he tired to death of being the only one that stood up against the Philistines, the only one. And I wonder whether he's tired of being the one that God had his hand on, that he was called to be separate. I wonder if he's tired of feeling that responsibility um, of carrying a burden of being, you know, the one. I wonder if he was tired of expectations um, and of leadership. And you know what? Tired men make bad decisions. Tired men make bad decisions, self-destructive decisions. And I'll tell you something, three years I worked... Um, supervising ministers and stuff in the Wollongong area. And what I saw is that tired men, emotionally tired men, take terrible risks and flirt with danger. It, it happens. And that's what Samson does here. Uh, he takes an incredible risk. 
he trusts her. I wonder if he almost wants a way out, almost wants to become as other men. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, uh, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not, did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. See, the hair wasn't magic. The hair is a symbol that he belonged to God. And to have it cut off, um, it was the end of that special dedication. Um, to take the risk, foolish. I would become as any other man. I wonder if that's what he wanted. Um, why do I carry this burden, this burden for others? You ever, you ever felt that? To carry a burden for others rather than just kind of hedonism and self-interest. I don't think he deliberately did it. See verse 20, he didn't realise that he'd become like any other man. He didn't realise that the Lord had left him. He just took that risk. So they blind him and they take him to Gaza. Where have we heard the name Gaza before? They're still repairing the gates at Gaza, right? He's the ones that, they're the ones he ripped off. That's why they took him there. And then you get in verse 22, the blind man can see again. The blind man can see, perhaps for the first time. Verse 22, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Um, God may have punished him and uh, made him learn hard lessons, but God hadn't totally abandoned him. 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer uh, a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. Of course, we know it's not Dagon who's done this, it's actually the God of Israel who's done this to Samson. Verse 25, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, um, Samson said to the servants who held his hand, uh, to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. You notice he comes out, he's blind and he's weak and they mock him in his weakness. They laugh at him. And the climax of the story, now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And here's now where you realise that Samson in the darkness can actually see properly for the first time. You notice this prayer is different to his other prayer. This is the first time he truly, humbly speaks to God. Verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. 
And Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. So he wins this great victory in his death. Not only does he kill more Philistines, but he kills their lords and their leaders and so on. And then the end of the story, um, then his brothers and fathers and whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zoah and Ashdael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He led Israel 20 years. Now, what, what do you make of all that? Ripping yarn, but what do we make of it? Remember I said the Old Testament judges shows you a pattern for the way that God deals with people. Samson's actually a pattern for the nation of Israel. Just listen to these, these similarities. It's, it's very deliberate, the way it's, the way it's put together. Um, chosen from the beginning to belong to God, Samson and the nation, set apart from other nations. Um, when Israel walked with God, they, they won great victories and they're strong. But just as success and arrogance made Samson, uh, sorry, success and strength made Samson arrogant and so on, um, uh, Samson wandered off and took up with other women, so Israel wandered off and took up with other gods. And they forgot that they were dedicated to God. And finally, Israel wakes up in the darkness in Babylon, blind and helpless, and that was necessary before they could see again. Am I making it up? No, what does Samson say about the Philistine woman? Get her what? She is right in my eyes. You get to the end of the book of Judges and what's it say? In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That, that's, this, this is a picture of Israel as well. Samson's a picture of Israel. But it's not just Israel, is it? Samson's a reluctant saint. He's the one that's set apart from birth. Uh, as a Nazarite to be holy and yet he, he's called and he knows that and yet he's, he's reluctant. He wants to live with a foot in both worlds. He, he wants to break God's laws and he wants to live with one foot in the Philistine world and he carries his separateness um, as a burden. Now we're called to be separate, aren't we? Holy, different. 1 Corinthians 2, to the church of God in Corinth, for those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, called to be holy, different, separate. And you know what? Sometimes I just, mm, do we carry that separateness as a burden? Kind of feel like, you know, we're missing out, that the, the pagans have more fun or they get to do stuff that we don't. Or even sometimes in ministry, I, don't, I wouldn't say it to one another, but you can feel a little bit of a martyr for being in ministry or or, you know, working together in ministry, uh, or even just kind of subtly reluctant. I'll read you a quote from Barry Webb, who's, who's brilliant. Um, the challenge the Samson story... Oh, sorry. The challenge the Samson story is at the... Sorry. The challenge of the Samson story to us at this level has to do with whether or not we will gladly embrace our calling... If we are saints by divine calling, we cannot be as other men and should not want to be. A reluctant saint is a tragic saint now as then. That's true of a Christian leader too, isn't it? A reluctant Christian leader is a tragic Christian leader now as then. 
Great challenge. Don't be reluctant. Embrace it. Because God has what's best for us. And then Samson's also a pattern for something else. Now, Samson's uh, mentioned as a hero of faith in um, uh, Hebrews 11. It's interesting, isn't it? Jephthah's a hero of faith, and so is Samson as a hero of faith. In what way? Well, he's a man that trusts God. Uh, he prays twice. I only recorded as praying twice, but they're two uh, very sincere prayers. At the, end of, at the end of the second scene, he prays for life, that God would give him drink and so on, and prays that he might live. And the end of the third scene, he prays that he might die. And God answers both those prayers. But more importantly than that, Samson's actually, you see in Samson a pattern for how God saves people. And until, until I was shown, I hadn't seen it. Let me, let me show you and see if, if you, you may have seen it already, but let me show you. Which saviour am I talking about? Here's the list, you ready? Which saviour does this describe? His birth was announced by an angel. It was a miraculous birth to a woman not expecting a child. There was a promise that he would save his people. His childhood is virtually unknown. He was rejected by his own people. He learns obedience through suffering. They bind him and hand him over to their pagan overlords. I should have included he was betrayed by someone close to him for silver. He was mocked in his humiliation and weakness, and yet it was God's will to crush him, and his saving work was consummated in his death. And you, you can work out who the, the real saviour is, can't you? And Samson's like Jesus in so many ways, and yet the great strength in that pattern is this. You look at the differences between Jesus and Samson, and you see how great our Lord is. Why? Jesus grew up knowing that he'd been set apart and yet was never reluctant, always embraced what had to be done, knowing that he was the one to serve people. Jesus grew up with great power and yet there's no record of him ever using that power for himself. And humility? Well, Samson only accepted God's will after God crushed him and the Lord Jesus accepts God's will all the time and still had to be crushed. And Samson, at his death, prays for revenge. Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So I hope uh, we've just read the story of Samson. I hope you might actually feel something for the big guy. And just, you just, just feel something for him and understand what he carried. But I hope you might appreciate how great a saviour we have in the Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? And Father, we thank you for this story um, and ask please that we might not be reluctant in your call to be holy and separate and set apart, but that we might embrace that and find joy in serving you. And we pray please that we might understand more and more how great a saviour we have in the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.